Would you pray with me, please? Father God, I ask that you would open all of our hearts and all of our minds, and especially that you would open our, our ears. Open our ears, whatever may be closing our ears today, my Father, uh, that you would open them. Uh, that you would release us and relax us, that, that our hearts just be open to you, that we recognize that you are about to speak to us, Father, through me. That, that you would help me, Father, to be a mouthpiece to you today. That you would help me explain your word. That you would help us, Father, all of us, uh, understand and receive what it is that you want uh, for us, Lord. I praise you. I honor you. I submit myself to you. I submit my mind. I submit my lips. I submit my heart, Father God, that you would use it according to your will. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things, Lord. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. You may be seated. Uh, I remind you that uh, in your bulletins, there is a loose sheet at the end of your bulletins where you can take notes if you so desire. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to open them to the letter of uh, St. James the letter of St. James toward the end of the New Testament. If you did not bring your Bibles, there are Bibles in front of you. And if you would like to just follow using the insert, uh, it is all there in your bulletin, and you can use it. It's the second lesson uh, that was read this morning from James. We have been on James for the last uh, three weeks or so, and we kind of have continued uh, looking at James and uh, just to, uh, to bring you uh, to a, a quick reminder of what we have seen in James, one of the things I told you when I introduced to you the letter uh, of James, I told you that this James is certainly not the brother of John the disciple. Uh, this James is the James that was considered to be one of the pillars of the church. James, the brother of John, had been killed earlier on, um, just after the Holy Spirit had come down on the church. Uh, he had been killed. This James is the James that becomes one of the pillars of the church, one of the main leaders of the church in Jerusalem before the church even spread throughout the world. This is the James that is one of the pillars together with Peter and John. Peter and John eventually left Jerusalem. Peter ended up being, being actually crucified in Rome, and he had a ministry in Rome. John ended up with a very strong ministry in the area of Asia Minor, in the area of Ephesus and Laodicea and Colossae and all of that area. James always stayed in Jerusalem. James' calling was to preach the gospel to the Jews. And he remained as the leader of what we might call the mother church, the church in Jerusalem. Uh, James, according to tradition, James was killed when they actually threw him down from the highest part of the temple, and they threw him down, and he, of course, uh, died. Another part of the tradition is that perhaps he was sort of left alive, and they took stones, and they began to stone him until he was killed. 
Uh, the other thing that I have shared with you and I showed you scripturally in, in the first sermon that I preached on James, that he was actually the brother of Jesus. The brother of Jesus, according to the testimony that Paul tells us about this James. The brother of Jesus and also brother of Jude. Jude also wrote a letter which is toward the end of the New Testament, and hardly a lot of people pay much attention to that letter, but it's a very worthy letter. It's about one chapter long. And this is the James that is both the brother of Jesus and the brother of Jude. The other thing I told you about this letter is that it is a very, very pastoral letter. In fact, I sometimes encourage people when they first come to faith, uh, some people say, well, read John. And that's a very worthy gospel to read to understand who Jesus is. But I love telling people to go to James because James is extremely pastoral. The idea of James is that James wants every believer to come not just to faith, but to the practice of their faith. Not just storing what they believe, not just storing information in their head, but actually how do you transfer it from information in your head, information in your heart, to actual practicing what you claim that you believe. The letter of Paul is very practical. Very practical. It's what I would call a letter of discipleship. It is the letter that all believers, it would force all believers to exercise and practice what they have learned in Jesus. To exercise and practice what they have learned in Jesus. And I think this is very important. I hope that you will pay attention to what I'm going to say right now because it's very important. But your faith, your faith must influence your actions. And your actions must bear testimony of your faith. Your faith, what you believe, must influence how you act and how you behave. And how you act and how you behave bears witness to the fact that your faith is genuine. That your faith is real and that your faith is life transforming. And that's very important. And especially in James. Now, when I preached the first sermon on James, which was on chapter 1, I gave you a sort of an image that I wanted you to keep in your minds. I told you to think of a big ear, small mouth, and big hands. I told you to imagine that and to let that be recorded in your mind. We are to have big ears, small mouth, and big hands. And the reason I told you this is because James tells us that we need to be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Because anger does not demonstrate the righteousness of God. It does not do the righteousness of God. Anger actually tells you that you are still in the flesh big time and that you are maybe even behaving the way of the world. Anger does not work out the righteousness of God. So I told you to have big ears to hear the word, big ears, small mouth. What sometimes we do is the reverse. We have big mouth 
and small ears. We always have an opinion, and we want to express it rather than listen to the Lord, rather than listen to each other. We are quick to speak, slow to hear, because we all have an opinion, and we want to make sure that our opinion is expressed clearly and heard by everybody. James tells us the reverse. James tells us to have big ears and spend more time listening than talking. Small mouth, big ears, but also to have big hands because he tells us that we are not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. We need to be practicing what it is that we hear. So big ears, small mouth, and big hands. That's kind of what I shared with you on my first sermon on James. Last Sunday, Serge uh, preached to you all from chapter 2. And he did an amazing job in sharing with us uh, from James. Primarily, what he shared with us is that friendship with the world... Friendship with the world implies necessarily enmity with God. Friendship with the world implies enmity with God. And you cannot be a friend of the world in practicing the way the world wants things to do, the pattern of the world. You cannot be practicing what the world dictates and still just on Sundays, come and be a Christian. What he told us was that if you are at all a friend of the world, you become and make yourself an enemy of God. And God is always on the side of the poor. God is always on the side of everyone who's in need and cries out to God. And he told us the story of somebody uh, driving into the parking lot in a Lamborghini and then a, a poor homeless lady coming in. And of course, he's taking all of that from James, who says that if a rich man comes into the church, we ask him to sit right up front. But if a, a, a poor, a smelly person comes into the church, we'll say, no, you sit on the back or you sit here as my footstool. And he says, in God, that's not how it works. That's how the world works. The world makes difference between rich and poor and chooses the rich. God makes no partiality and no difference whether you are rich or poor. We all need God. We all need Him. We all need to come to Him. We're all sinners in need of redemption. And if that is the way of God, that's how we need to live and treat one another. Independent of what you look like or how long you've been a member of the church or who you are or how much money you have or how, many, how intelligent you are or any of those things. We are to be in the side of God always. God must be visible in us through how we live and practice our faith. Today, I want to continue that idea a little bit with a little change. Today, we're looking actually at chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And in reading James 
in reading James and reading this portion, I was reminded of two things that Jesus said, which I hope we pay some attention to because this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says in chapter 12 of Matthew, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Just listen to what Jesus is saying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In other words, what comes out of you is what gets you in trouble with God. It's not what goes in. He says later in chapter 15, he says, Whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, and it is eliminated. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy, etc., etc., etc. What you are full of will come out. What you are full of will come out, which basically says to me that whatever you feed yourself, that's going to come out some way. If you are filling with good things, if you're filling with the Word of God, if you are filling with being in God, if you are filling up with songs of God, if you are filling up with things that lead you to God, that will come out in every conversation. It will come out in everything that you do. It will come out at work with your co-workers. It will come out with your family. It will come out in everything because you are filled of the goodness of God. If you fill yourself with the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God is let loose inside of you, every word that comes out of your mouth will be blessed by the Lord. However, if you are filled with junk, if you are filled with junk, and that junk can come from many sources, that also is going to come out. That's going to come out, and your language will be difficult, and your anger will come out, and everything that you are full of will come out. And it reminded me of these words of Jesus, because James says in chapter 4, which was read today, where do wars and fights come from? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust or you desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask in order to, be, to spend it on your pleasures. And God is not going to answer your prayers when you are praying to fill yourself with pleasures. God is not going to bless what he doesn't bless. 
So you may ask all you want in prayer and wonder why God doesn't answer you, probably because it's not good for you that he answers you. But this idea of James, of where do wars and fights come from, they come from inside of you. They come from the things that fill you up. They come from the things that are working in your heart. And so wars and fights and gossip and argument and and all sorts of things will come out of you. This morning, I don't want to focus so much on the negative, because we are all very familiar with the negatives. We're all very familiar with the ways of the world. I want you, I want all of us to ask this question today. I want us to ask us this question. What does the faith in Jesus look like in practice? What does our faith in Jesus look like in practice? What does friendship with God look like in practice? What does imitating Jesus look like in practice? And we know from James what the world's way is. Because he tells us that bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting, lying against the truth, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Read it again. Bitter envy, self-seeking, boasting, lying against the truth, this does not come from above from the Father of light. This is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing proceed. But those, those are negatives. I want us to focus on how do we practice the faith? How can the faith that we claim we have come out into action? And so I want to deal with the following verse. In chapter 3, verse 17, it says, But the wisdom that is from above, that was what was from the earth and was demonic. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now remember, we want to focus on how do we live our faith in the real world. How do we practice what we claim we believe? And so James tells us a number of things that should be very visible in all of us. And he says the first one of them, the first one is purity. Is purity. When we talk about purity, sometimes we think of it as a, um, a ceremonial purity. Keep things clean. That type of thing. I think Paul, uh, I think James uh, intends much more than that. When James speaks about purity in the practice of our faith, he is speaking about being moral. Having 
values that are moral, values that are centered on who God is, not on who the world tells us that we need to be. Being pure implies that we are to practice spiritual integrity. Spiritual integrity. That's the practice of the faith that needs to be visible in us. Free from what vitiates, weakens, and pollutes. Thus, purity is not just a quality among others, but it's the key of all values. First of all, purity. We need to consider that we practice our faith and we need to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to be in the world. We live in the world. We are light and salt in the world, but we don't live according to the world. We need in our lives to seek purity, the purity of God, the cleansliness of God, the holiness of the Holy Spirit, especially if the Holy Spirit lives in us. We live our faith by looking and being pure, by abstaining from evil, By abstaining from the negatives of this world. By showing a different way of life than the way of this world. First of all, purity needs to be the way that we practice what we believe. Second is peaceable. Peaceable. Freedom from strife with others. We need to live our lives in peace. In peace with everyone. It doesn't matter what they believe or don't believe. We all need to seek peace with everyone. To live in peace with one another. We can have different opinions. We can be different in many and all kinds of ways. But there's no need for us as Christians who have faith in Jesus to live in enmity with anybody else. We need to seek peace. We need to be peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not only are we to live in interior peace, but we need to learn to be peacemakers. Listen, there are times in our families when some sides of the families are at war with each other. Brother with brother, sister with sister. There are churches where people are in enmity with each other. At least one or two or three people. Because there's never one. Okay? Because when you have a problem with somebody else, whether it's in your family or the church or at work, you will gather your crew around you and you will create a number of people who will feel like you and who will only hear your side of the problem. And so you end up with a number of people. We, on the other hand, do not need to take the sides of each family member or each co-worker. We need to be peacemakers. We who live according to the faith of Jesus need to be peacemakers. We need to be the ones that step in the middle and say, guys, listen to each other. Guys, don't do this thing. We need to be the ones that pray for peace. We need to be the ones that bring Jesus, the King of Peace, into any situation. Not just us having peace with others and peace within ourselves, but being peacemakers. 
That is how you practice your faith. That's how what you believe and what you practice come together. We need to be known by being peacemakers. We talk to all sides. Listen, we're not going to agree with everybody all the time, but we can be peacemakers. You all know that I'm involved in a dialogue with Jews and, and, and Muslims. The most magnificent thing I have experienced with these guys is that we can disagree completely with each other and still be civil with one another and still question and, and bring out the tough questions and still respond to each other with civility. We can live in peace with all people. That is how you live your faith. In peace, not in war, not in turmoil, not in strife. That is the way of the world. That is not the way of Jesus. How do you live your faith? By living purely. By being a peacemaker. Number three, he says, to be gentle. To be gentle, to be humane, to be caring, to be tender. We don't have to respond to people harshly. To be gentle is the opposite of being violent, whether it's with your lips or with your hands. To be gentle is to pacify yourself, is to let the Holy Spirit give you peace and live that peace out in gentleness among all people because that gentleness will bring the glory of God rather than the anger and the war and all of the things that can come out of our mouth. How do you live your faith? How do you live it visibly? By being pure. By being a peacemaker. By being gentle. And then the next one, it says, willing to yield or open to reason. Open to reason. This is the difference or the opposite of disobedience. But also it is the opposite of always having it your way. Being willing to yield means that you don't have to win every time. You don't have to win at any cost and every cost. You can learn to let God win. You can learn to submit yourself to the Lord. It's okay if your wife takes the remote control. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. It's okay if she chooses the movie that you're going to go see. It's okay. You don't have to win every time. You don't have to win every argument. You don't have to be the one that shines at your job presentation always at the expense of others. You need to learn to be gentle with others, to be peacemaker. You need to learn to yield you need to learn to submit to the Lord and learn to submit to one another. That is how we practice our faith. That's how it becomes visible. It also says that we need to be full of mercy. I don't need to tell you much about mercy because we use that word all the time. Mercy is the idea of loving, being loving kind. Being loving and acting in love and acting in forgiveness and acting in a way where you give grace as you have received grace. To be merciful is to give grace, is to give love, is to be understanding. 
Being merciful is to be forgiving because you're not always right yourself all the time. Is to be forgiving. That's how you live your faith. Being full of mercy and grace and love and kindness. And full of good fruit and without uncertainty. In other words, without doubt. Without doubt. But being convinced of what you believe. Being firm in what you believe. We just did a whole series on the, on the, on the Nicene Creed. And I told you and I reiterated all the time what it means to say, I believe. Here I stand. Without doubt. And so you practice your faith by being firm on what you claim you believe. And lastly, James says, without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. Now, I have taught you this before, but I often remind you. The Greek word for actor is hypocrite. That's the Greek word for actor. It's a hypocrite. Not hypocrite in the way we use it, but in the sense that an actor behaves and acts and takes roles that are so different from who he is actually. An actor becomes in character something that he really is not. We as Christians cannot be hypocrites in the sense that we do, we say one thing and do another. We cannot be double-minded. A hypocrite is someone double-minded. It's someone double-tongued. In front of you they speak nicely and behind you they shred you to pieces. You practice your faith by maintaining your purity, your gentleness, your peacemaking, by, by being not a hypocrite, by being pure, by being real, by allowing all that is in you come forth, come forward. Whatever you feel of, live it, live it. That is how James tells us that we are to practice our faith. And he makes the statement that faith without practice is dead faith. Faith, saying that you believe, but you don't do act, you don't act on it, is dead faith. And, and works without faith is just social work. Right? To be nice out there in the world and be honest and, and all of these things, but without faith, you're just a social worker, which is fine, but don't confuse it as Christianity. You may be very moral, but that's just social work. But you can also have faith, not practice it, and you're doing nothing good either. You're just a body without spirit. Is what James says. It's dead carcass. Faith must have action. Faith must have practice. Faith must have that that gives it its testimony. That shines back a light and says this is what this person believes. So James, James is speaking in this chapter about practicing the faith that we claim that we have. Doing the stuff. Whatever Jesus told us to do, do it. Don't just store it in the filing cabinets of your head, in the filing cabinets of your heart. Don't just memorize scripture. Go do it. 
Go do it. That is what James is asking us to do, to practice our faith. Let me close with a, a little story that, that my, my priest used to tell me. You know, of all the sermons he ever preached, this is the one thing I remember more than anything. That's what kind of an impact it made on me. He said that a man was going to cross a river and he needed to get on a boat. And the boat, I mean, you hire the boat and you get on the boat and it'll, it'll take you across. And as he's going on the boat across this lake or across this river, he noticed that in the oars, one of the oars said faith and the other oar said works or practice. And he said to the guy, why do you have those words in the oars? He said, oh, I'll show you. If you just row with faith, all you do is turn around. If you just row with works, all you do is turn around. If you want to advance in your Christian walk, you need both faith and practice. Faith and works, faith and action, that's how you advance in your Christian faith. And I want to say to you today, if you have faith, but it's invisible, your faith is faulty. Your faith has a problem. Your faith is just knowledge. Your faith needs to be lived out in the world. It needs to be visible because it points to Jesus. And it points to who you are as a Christian. Amen.